0: This episode was pre-recorded as part of a live continuing education webinar. On-demand CEUs are still available for this presentation through all CEUs. Register at allceus.com slash CounselorToolbox. This episode of Counselor Toolbox has been sponsored in part by Foundations Events. As the behavioral health industry evolves, the need for collaboration is greater than ever. Join Foundations Events at the Innovations in Behavioral Healthcare Conference, June 20th and 21st in Nashville. Focused on listening to both the patient and provider, this conference offers two days of sessions that follow the journey from meeting the patient where they are to helping them find recovery. Special pricing for licensed clinicians is available with the opportunity to earn over 20 CEUs. Visit foundationsevents.com slash counselor toolbox for more information and to register today. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Donna Lee Snipes, and today we're going to be talking about building resilience in children. And one of the things that... I really want to emphasize, or I really want you to think about, even if you don't work with kids, you can help build resilience in children. The way you do that is by encouraging parents that you're working with to take some of these activities home and share them with their family. Encourage them to take mindfulness activities home and do the mindfulness activities at the dinner table in order to encourage everybody in the family to learn how to be mindful. Give people the Distress Tolerance Worksheet, the ACCEPTS um, handout that is actually in your classroom and encourage them as a family to go through and identify different activities they can do when they're feeling distressed, different ways they can contribute when they're feeling distressed, uh, different things that they can do that help them feel the opposite emotion. You see where I'm going here. But if they make that up as a family, then they have this conglomeration or collage of different ideas and things that they can do when they're feeling distressed. And then they place that in a prominent place in the house. It may not be in the living room because not everybody wants that in the living room. The front of the refrigerator is one of the best places that I find, especially if you've got kids, even if they're teenagers, they're always in the refrigerator. So, Think about that as we go through what types of activities can you give parents in order to help them become more resilient. So they're modeling resilience, but they're also teaching these skills to to their to their children. We are going to define resilience. We'll explore the characteristics of resilient people. And I show my age here when I have a weeble wobble. I used to love weeble wobbles when I was a kid. Weeble wobbles uh, will wobble, but they won't fall down. They're kind of the epitome of resilience. So think about that when you're thinking about what's going on. We're going to identify how to help people become more resilient and highlight activities which can help people deal with unpleasant events when they happen because sometimes bad things happen. Sometimes we're going to hurt and this is when we get to that whole concept of living in the and. Living a rich and meaningful life and knowing that we can experience distress sometimes. The Art of Resilience. Resilience is a process or lifestyle that enables people to bounce back in the face of adversity. It's a dynamic process encompassing positive adaptation within the context of significant adversity. So what does that all mean? It means that resilience isn't just a set of skills that you have that you necessarily pull out. It's knowing what you need being aware of what your needs are and being able to attend to that because every time you experience distress you're not necessarily going to need the same exact thing if you have a death in the family you may feel devastated and you may need to do certain things in order to cope with that if you lose your job or break up with your spouse or get in an accident and experience some sort of permanent disability. Those are all different losses or problems that you could experience, and each one of them may require slightly different tools and coping skills. Resilience develops over time as people are exposed to and successfully navigate stressors. One of the ways we can help children develop resilience is by allowing them to try and sometimes fail. And the key is here sometimes. We want children to try. We want them to step outside their comfort zone and experience life. You know, We want them to go through those Ericksonian stages of industry and um, uh, whatever the other ones are. can't think of them off the top of my head. But we want children to develop self-esteem and explore their environment, figure out what they're good at, that's wonderful, but they're not going to be good at everything. It's just the way life is. We, by being good, stable parents with a good attachment to our children, we are that secure home base that they can return to. They can try. We can encourage them if they want to try out for the football team. Great. You know, I will encourage you to do that. I may think in the back of my head, you're M- might not make it, and if the person doesn't make it, then okay, I will still be there as your parent or guardian to encourage you and help you reflect on all the other things that you're good at. Sometimes you're going to fail. Children need to learn to deal with adversity so when they're ex when they experience it, they don't feel completely devastated and powerless. I want you to reflect on and th- this may get a little dicey for a second, Um, I want you to reflect on the political scenario right now. There are some people when, for example, when Trump got elected, who were completely devastated and they didn't know how to go on. They weren't, they couldn't even think about, okay, now what can I do in this situation? What parts do I have control over? You know, yes, may not be able to get him out of office if that's what you wanted however you can become active on campaigns for other democratic people to help them take back the house or the senate at that point and you know eventually take back the white house that is something you can do recognizing what people can uh, people recognizing what they can do is part of resilience resilience means looking and going okay That knocked me down, but I can get back up and I can still have a good life. I can still affect my little part of the universe. There are some things we're not going to be able to change. We also need to help everybody, you know, children and adults, figure out how to deal with that. It is important, though, that children start learning how to deal with adversity from the time they're knee high to a grasshopper. When they don't start learning that until high school or college, then it's harder for them to deal with it. If they've always succeeded and always won and always gotten their own way, it's more difficult for them to accept adversity. Not impossible, but it's much more ingrained in their brain that they're supposed to be able to succeed at everything. The central principles of resiliency theory include recognizing risk factors and vulnerabilities. All of us have unique characteristics and situations and environments that can be risk factors and vulnerabilities. We also all have protective factors and mechanisms. Recognizing those, we want to mitigate the risk factors as much as possible, and we want to enhance the protective factors. Risk factors and mechanisms are the events or conditions of adversity that cause distress in early life this not does not have to do with the individual themselves um, their whatever this has to do with them being born into poverty, them being born prematurely or addicted to drugs, um, if their family is very mobile and there 's a lack of family and community ties, if the family environment is dysfunctional or there are people in the immediate family that have a lot of illnesses, then that could impair the child's ability to be resilient, partly or largely because in some of these situations, the parents may not either have the skills to be resilient or they may be, in the case of poverty, they may be both working two jobs, so they're not as available to their child as they want to be. If the child is premature, you know, that's something that, that couldn't be helped. But we can look to early intervention programs, which every state has. If you Google um, early steps or early intervention programs, that's one way to mitigate the risk factor. Um, both of my children were micropremies. So, we were involved in early intervention from the get go because they know that micropremies are at a higher risk for certain developmental delays and things, and it was just a wonderful program that we were involved in with poverty. We want to make sure that the whole family has access to safe housing the whole family nuclear family not necessarily grandma and everybody out there although that would be nice Uh, we want to make sure that the nuclear family has access to food medical care safe housing we want to help them develop some sort of community ties which can be a little bit challenging but social support is so important for families especially for parents a lot of times, you know, first-time parents, doubly especially, uh, we haven't been there. We haven't been through it. And we don't necessarily know what is, you know, is this supposed to be happening right now? There's, there's no manual for how to, you know, raise a child. There are a lot of books out there, some of them conflicting. Many parents don't have time to read 50 different volumes on how to be a parent. We want to help them connect to the community so they have support, so they have a sounding board, so they have a sense of belonging. If there's an addicted or dysfunctional environment, while it's not addressing the child specifically, we are preventing or addressing as soon as possible adverse childhood experiences. We want to make sure that that child is not exposed to domestic violence, to abuse, to neglect, or to caregivers who are emotionally or physically or unavailable or both because of addiction or mental health issues. We want to make sure that the parents are actually or caregivers are actually able to be there emotionally and physically as much as the child needs. If there is illness, we can you know, provide some linkages to as- assist the caregivers in getting resp- respite care for themselves, as well as getting access to the medical services and psychological services they may need to deal with a chronic or a terminal illness. Vulnerability factors are individual traits. So this is where we're talking about the kid here. Genetic predispositions or environmental and biological deficits, which may cause a heightened response, sensitivity, or reaction to stressors. For example, cognitive impairment, regardless of the cause. If there was a birth trauma, if there was a head trauma after um, the child was, after the child was born, if the child was just born with a cognitive impairment, including fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, that is a vulnerability because they may not have the skills, they may not have the cognitive abilities we would expect at a certain age to deal with different stressors. That's important to recognize. If you have a child with FASD, for example, who is... Maybe twelve years old, but is developmentally in, um, in a processing capacity more like six, then the challenges that we expect that child to be able to handle are very different we wouldn 't expect them to be ha- be able to handle the same thing as another twelve year old We do want to look into that and make sure that the parents and and caregivers and teachers and everybody else in the child 's life is aware of their cognitive abilities and able to help them grow and nurture them through the process, but they're not expecting too much. They're not expecting more than the child can provide at that point in time. Lack of social support. Children, regardless of the age, I mean, little children, it's less important. You know, you don't have a two-year-old calling their little friend on the telephone, I hope, um, and, uh, you know, venting. You do, however, in older children, when we're talking about middle schoolers, high schoolers, they need social support. They need support from their peers. And if they don't have it, we want to ask the question, why? Why don't they have social support? Do they not have the social skills to develop relationships and uh, communicate effectively? Or do they have something else going on, trauma, depression, anxiety? What is preventing them or from wanting or preventing them from making, if they already want them, relationships with their peers? We do want to consider those and provide interventions because social support is one of our greatest buffers. Think about when you were in high school. You know, if something went wrong, you probably called your best friend on on the telephone and you know, told them what was going on, or you had an ally at school who could, you know, have your back if you felt like things were getting dicey with somebody else. You know how it goes. Schools can be very clicky, but social supports are important. Emotional dysregulation. In children, you know, we see the tantrums. Children are tired or whatever, and they will throw a tantrum. That's not, you know, developmentally inappropriate. We do want children to learn how to manage their emotions when they feel unpleasant feelings so they don't become completely dysregulated. With older children, as they start getting into school age, when they become stressed, anxious, you know, any of those dysphoric emotions, we want to help them recognize what's causing that early and recognize the early signs of distress and figure out how to deal with it. So we want to teach them mindfulness from the time they're little. And mindfulness activities with little kids are actually really fun uh, because you don't have to get into all this, you know, psychological stuff. You say, okay, tell me what are five things that you see right now? What are four things that you hear? three things that you smell, you know, go through that, encourage them to get grounded and then just ask them, how are you feeling right now? And with little children, sometimes they don't have that emotional vocabulary. So one of those posters that has the little faces on it with all the emotions is really helpful. I've worked with a couple of kids who weren't as moved or didn't find the poster as helpful. They found colors more helpful. So they would say, I feel red or I feel green. And then we started talking about what red or green meant in terms of feelings. But helping kids identify what they're feeling, help them recognize mindfulness, their physical sensations. Do they, are they sleepy? Are they hungry? Are they feeling you know, anxious? Are they, is their heart racing? What's going on with them? So they can start articulating those sorts of things. When my son, when, when he was little, and he would start to get sick. And unfortunately, he had a lot of ear infections and stuff, more than I would have wanted uh, when he was little. But I could always tell with about two days ahead of time, before he would spike a fever, you know, he wouldn't start acting puny. He'd actually start becoming more disorganized and more chaotic. And my son's very rigid. So when he was chaotic, it indicated something was, a miss. And I would point that out to him. Uh, when he was, uh, golly, I guess he was about three, um, he had started to really develop his self-awareness. And being a micro preemie, he would get overstimulated really easily by lots of different colors and things going on. And when he got overstimulated, he would melt down. And you know, like any kid does. And I remember distinctly this one time I was working at the computer and you know he was he had been playing in the living room and he comes over to me and he says, Mommy, I'm overstimulated. He didn't say his L's very well. Popped his pacifier in his mouth and toddled into his room and sat on his bed. And in his room, one of his walls was just blank white. And That was soothing for him to just look at a blank white wall. There were no pictures, no Star Wars, no nothing. Those were on the other walls. There was one wall that was blank white. But I don't think he was even three. He was right around that age. I'm overstimulated. Okie dokie. And when he was ready, when he felt better, he came out. You know, it wasn't a punishing thing. He was just telling me he was taking a break. And that was sort of the beginning of... His self awareness of what was going on ineffective coping skills. If parents don't have them, children aren't going to have them because we're not born with them. It's important to kind of assess this. We can help parents, um, like, or we help parents learn distress tolerance and mindfulness and teach it to their kids. And we can teach it, we can teach distress tolerance and mindfulness to children if they're our clients. We can also teach coping skills to parents and or to children. And I find that when I work with children, it's helpful to work with the child and say, okay, explain distress tolerance. You know, we go through the um, stress tolerance worksheet and make a collage or whatever. And then I bring the parents in and we talk about what distress tolerance is, the activity that we did. And I encourage them to help junior apply that throughout the upcoming week and to possibly model it themselves for juniors. So if they start using a distress tolerance activity, you know, just kind of talk out loud and articulate that. Mood or addictive disorders in the person. If you're working with a – I've seen people who have started using marijuana or drinking alcohol as early as nine. If you see substance use in early – well, in a – underage person or if you see evidence of a mood disorder in the person screening and early intervention is so important it's so much more difficult to deal with life on life's terms when you're already depressed or anxious and we talk about it as you know starting 25 yards back from where you're supposed to be you know everybody else is at the 50 yard line and you're 25 yards back We want to help people sort of level the playing field, be starting from the same place, which means we need to help them address these things early on. Screening is super helpful. Letting parents know these are the signs to look for because anxiety and depression and bipolar disorder look different in children, a little bit different in children than they do in adults. So these are the things to look for. And, you know, if it becomes if you think it's becoming an issue if you think this your child may be developing a mood disorder or something to get them to see their pediatrician poor physical health is another thing that impacts people's resilience it's hard to bounce back when you hardly have the energy to get out of bed it is hard hard to continue to push through and deal with adversity when you're in pain it's hard to do any of this when your body doesn't have the building blocks it needs to make the neurotransmitters to help you feel happy and focused and energized. We want to make sure that people have good physical health. That means educating them, the children you know, in health class and the parents through the pediatrician and public service announcements or whatever, about the importance of physical health and where to get access resources if you're in chronic pain. Here is a chronic pain support group. If you need assistance getting food because you don't have adequate nutrition or if you've got a picky eater, here's where you can go to start getting resources, etc. We want to make sure that the parents have the tools they need to support the child and regardless of age. Obviously, a five-year-old is not going to be really hearing a whole lot about, you know, the food pyramid and all that kind of stuff. That's over their head which is why it's important that parents have these skills. If you're dealing with a highly sensitive child with low distress tolerance, okay, you know, that's exactly what we're talking about here is somebody who doesn't have a whole lot of resilience. We want to help them if they emotionally dysregulate. We want to validate how overwhelming it may feel and encourage them to use some distress tolerance skills to get into their wise mind you know they've got to bring it back down and get out of that adrenaline haze before they can focus on anything we want to help them figure out how to return to baseline we want to help them identify you know okay when you came to me you were just you were really upset you were devastated tell me about what led up to this and you know There may be not a whole lot that they're identifying, but they may identify some things. We want to help them identify, if they are highly sensitive, we want to help them identify anything that might be a vulnerability that we can help mitigate. Do they have chronic pain? You know, do they have Crohn's disease, whatever? Are they getting adequate nutrition? Is their belly full with good food, not just Doritos and soda pop? With teenagers especially, there ain't nothing we can do about the hormones except for recognize that, you know, teenagers and maybe even a little bit younger are going to have some pretty significant hormone fluctuations in there. One of the big things I find with youth, and I use that term kind of broadly, um, is they don't get enough sleep. Children under the age of 18 should be getting at least 18 hours, or not 18, sorry, at least 10 hours of sleep every night. And that just doesn't happen. You know, if, I know my children don't get 10 hours of sleep. I really want them to. But, you know, I'm really happy between 8 and 9 hours if we can get that. Why is this important? Because developmentally, their body still needs that much sleep in order for them to be optimally rested and able to concentrate and deal with life on life's terms. With a lot of youth, it's important to help them evaluate their sleep hygiene and develop a sleep routine. I have videos on the All YouTube YouTube channel about sleep, so we're not going to go into that a whole lot right now. But that is one area where we can intervene. And, you know, I've done that with both of my kids to get their circadian rhythms synced um, for themselves so they they have a stable circadian rhythm. And, you know, my daughter actually asked one of her friends the other day, um, because her friend was complaining about being overwhelmed and exhausted, and her her first question was, well, are your circadian rhythms stable? And her friend just kind of looked at her like, what? But she went, went on to explain it. Protective factors. You know, we've talked about mitigating these risk factors that might exist, but we want to enhance the protective factors. There are four ways that protective factors help. They reduce the impact of the risk. So if you are well-rested, if you have good social support and good coping skills and, you know, your arsenal is full, then when something unfortunate comes your way, it doesn't hit you quite as hard as if you are already stressed out, exhausted in pain, and feeling isolated. We want to reduce negative chain reactions to r- risk factors. If somebody has a cognitive deficit or poor coping skills or whatever the case may be, that can impact their mood it can impact their concentration. It can impact their success at school. It can impact their success at work. It can impact their earning potential, so they may be more prone to poverty. You know, we want to reduce these risk factors or these chain reactions. We want to promote resiliency traits, and we're going to talk about those in a few minutes, and set up new opportunities for success. So protective factors will help children develop these and promote these resiliency traits in them. It will encourage them to use these skills and that will have the chain reaction, if you will, will of creating new opportunities for them. There are two types of protective factors. Assets are protective factors that reside within the the individual, like self-esteem or self-efficacy. Two things that are very important for everybody. And social competence and communication skills, your ability to interact with others, to receive that social support, and to effectively communicate your needs, wants, and desires, and set boundaries, and all that kind of stuff. We ideally want parents who have all of these. However, we can help parents teach these to children. Self-efficacy, that sense that you can accomplish things, that sense that if you put your mind to something, you can succeed most of the time is really important. So we want to talk about how do we help parents and teachers create scenarios where children feel like they have some agency in something and they can succeed. Social competence and communication skills, we can start teaching from the very beginning. And when, when children are in grade school, for example, helping them take other people's perspectives, helping them, you know, I remember when my kids were little, the phrase was, I need you to use your words instead of, you know, punching somebody or, or just throwing a tantrum and I'm going, not really sure what's going on. I need you to use your words and tell me what's going on. And then resources. So those are assets. Resources refer to factors outside of individuals, such as social support, opportunities to learn and practice skills, and wellness programs that support biological health. We want to encourage wellness programs. We want to encourage families to be able to get their kids to the doctor for early intervention, screening, make sure everything's going well. We want to encourage adequate health education in the school system. We want to make sure that children have the opportunity to practice skills instead of telling them, well, you should have done this and sending them on their merry way. We want to be more Socratic in our approach and go, okay, what, what are, what's another way that you might have handled that situation? Or how do you think that Tommy felt when you took his ball from him? How would you feel if Tommy took your ball from you? Okay, next time Tommy takes your ball, What might be a better way to handle it instead of punching him? Yeah, Talking that through with children. Really young children may not have the answers, but you can scaffold and you can help them get to the place where they're starting to come up with answers and go, oh, yeah, that would probably be a better idea to go tell a teacher instead of, you know, slugging my friend. Be a good, good idea. We want to make every moment a learning opportunity. Encourage parents to practice mindfulness with their children at breakfast and before bed. When I was in school, we had homeroom and we had morning announcements. It wouldn't be that big of a deal for the morning announcements to have to go over a mindfulness checklist. You know, everybody think about how, you know, what's your energy level? What's your mood like? What do you need to do to have a successful day today? You know, that took all of, what, 15 seconds? When people are upset, empathize with them. You know, when a child's upset, empathize. It feels devastating right now. Comfort and help them de-escalate. In order to be resilient, they have to be able to catch their breath so they can bounce back up. So we want to provide that nurturing support. And then process with them. In young children, we can provide advice. Like I said, they may not have the answers. We could provide advice and then role-play it. Next time Tommy steals your ball, what could you do instead? So, you know, let's pretend I'm Tommy and, you know, here's your ball. I'm going to take it from you. Now, you feel angry about that. What are you going to do? Role-play with the small child what to do so they start learning these skills. In older children, we can use that Socratic questioning to brainstorm possible ways they can react in the future that might have a better outcome. The six C's of resilience, coping, control, character, confidence, competence, and connection. Coping, and these are assets, these are resiliency assets that we want to enhance in people. Coping can effectively balance negative and positive emotions and manage strong impulses. Emotion regulation activities are great, and we want to help them prevent and mitigate vulnerabilities by engaging in daily mindfulness when they get up. You know, if they get up and they know, like last night my dogs were just being brats all night long, I did not sleep well. So I know that today is going to be a little more sluggish than yesterday. That's okay. I'm aware of it so I can plan accordingly. Uh, Encourage them to, you know, use that mindfulness to be aware of what they need moment to moment. Screening and early intervention for developmental disabilities and learning disabilities is really important. And structure at home, making sure they're getting as close to adequate sleep and good nutrition as, you know, humanly possible. There's only so much we can do to make kids go to sleep. Distress tolerance. Like I said, put a poster on their fridge and ideally in their bedroom. And if you're a teacher, post it above. Post one of the distress tolerance posters above the blackboard in the classroom. That way, children, when they when they start to feel distressed, they can look up at it and go, "Okay, A is for activities. What kind of activity can I do right now? Um, P is for pushing thoughts away. How can I push this thought away right now?" whatever it is if there is a visual cue somewhere in the room it makes it easier for the youth to access it problem solving skills encouraging them to recognize and start being able to discern what the facts are versus what their feelings are and what they can change versus what they can't they can't change another person they can't make somebody do something. Well, Generally, you can't make somebody do something. It's important for them to recognize that they have the ability to change their reaction and their behaviors in a situation, but they can't necessarily change another person's. We also want them to remain aware of resources. In the case of youth, you know, what resources do you have when you are at school? You have the school resource officer, you have teachers, you have, you know, have them list people that they can um, get that they can rely on. Character. Help kids figure out who they are. Who are you, and who and what is important to you? You've heard me talk about this same very thing in adult classes on acceptance and commitment therapy, helping people develop a rich and meaningful life. Tell me about yourself. And what's important in your life? Kids don't have that filter like, I shouldn't say that. That might sound like I'm bragging. They're going to tell you what they think and who they are and what's important to them. And if they do stumble a little bit, you can help them brainstorm some different things. Kids generally like art projects. So if you make a collage of things that are important to them and maybe they are on the peewee baseball team or, or whatever, having an area, a wall or part of a wall that has their trophies and the uh, programs from their drama presentations or whatever it is that helps them remember what they are, uh, what characteristics they have, what they're good at and, you know, what makes them unique and special and amazing. Encouraging them to recognize The things that they can change in a situation. Again, recognizing that who they want to be and how do they want to react. Control and autonomy is the belief in their ability to act independently to exert some sort of control over their situation. Remember, we talked about that in the very beginning. We want to make sure that children have experienced a little adversity in order to be able to handle larger adversities as life throws them at them when something unpleasant happens encourage people to engage and even when it's not unpleasant encouraging people to engage in purposeful action making realistic plans to move toward that life that they want based on what's important to them and what's important to one person is not important not necessarily important to another encourage them to take steps necessary to achieve their goals so they can see that they're making progress and they can feel like that little engine that could. And encourage them to notice forward-moving thoughts and behaviors in themselves and others, in themselves especially, so they can see that what they're doing is working. That gives them that sense of efficacy. But also noticing it in others to encourage those people around them, going, you know, I see you've been trying really hard, to keep your room clean this week. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Encourage confidence in their strengths and abilities. Have them list their strengths. What are, are, the, are your strengths? Are you good at math? Are you good at reading? Are you helpful? Are you kind to animals? Whatever it is. In what ways, uh, and, and when uh, something bad happens, ask people, to reflect on what ways does your response to this make sense? If you have a little kid and, you know, their their dog dies, it, it happens. If you've got dogs and kids, you know, eventually the dog passes away, unfortunately, the child's going to be upset. And asking them, in what way does this make sense? Why does it make sense that you're upset right now? You know, I hear that you're upset. You know, recognizing their compassion as a strength and then building on that by asking them, okay, when you've been sad before, what's helped you feel better? How did you get through similar situations? If it has to do with something at school, we might also ask them about what helpful or self-defeating thoughts are you telling yourself right now? Obviously, we want to enhance the helpful thoughts and get rid of the self-defeating thoughts. Encouraging them to recognize their reactions are normal, they're normal, And they have the strengths and abilities to draw on to deal with this. Competence is their people's feeling that they have the ability to mitigate emotions and successfully problem solve. They feel competent in dealing with life. They don't feel like they have to have somebody do it for them. In order to build this competence, we want to help them focus on what they did correctly and prior successes so they can go, yeah. I've done things like this before. I got this. You know, when kids move out, you know, from high school into college and they have their first dorm room, that can be kind of a scary thing. When they move from that dorm room to their first apartment, that can be kind of a scary thing. We want to help them recognize, you know, what skills and tools do they have when they move from high school to college? Help them reflect on how many times they've stayed alone for the entire weekend by themselves and been able to fend for themselves just fine. Etc., if they're worried about that, and encourage them to practice saying no and asking for help, which kind of involves social competence too. Competence means the ability you have com- confidence that you are able to identify situations you shouldn't get into and say no, and you have awareness of areas where you may need help. You don't have to be competent at everything all the time, nobody is. Competence means knowing where your weaknesses are and being willing to ask for help. Building competence. Help people get out of their own way and allow themselves to take chances. In order to feel competent, you have to take a chance and succeed at something. Notice praise and critique when children are, you know, taking chances and trying, even if they don't succeed praise the fact that, you know what, that is awesome that you tried. I'm sorry it didn't turn out the way you wanted. Let's talk about what you might do differently next time when you try out for the baseball team to see, you know, what I may be able to do or what we can do to help you get on the team next time. Strive for authentic success. We don't want to have it be, you made the team because I gave a donation to the school. We want to help them Know that the success was due to their hard work. Encourage them to act in their wise mind. Encourage them to stop lecturing and second guessing themselves. And we need to stop lecturing and second guessing them instead of saying, you know, you really shouldn't try out for that. You're not ready yet. And if you do it, you're probably going to fail. Then you're going to be devastated. And why put yourself through that? No. If the child feels like they are wanting to take this chance, If they feel like they are ready, even if you don't necessarily feel like they are ready, we want to be there to support them. And then if they fail, you know, be there to help them navigate that and figure out what to do differently the next time. Encourage them to rely on assistance and feedback from others to help meet new challenges. In order to build confidence in something, you have to learn. In order to learn, you have to learn from someone. or something, whether it's a YouTube video or a person or a book, encourage them to be willing to reach out and get that information and look for mentors in order to develop a sense of competence in something that they are working toward. Resources of those with resilience. We talked about these some earlier. Think about Maslow's hierarchy. They need to have a safe environment. Financial stability in order to get adequate food, housing, and medical care. And connection and social support. The first connection they need is a connection to themselves and their goals so they can live authentically, which comes back to mindfulness. They need to be aware of who they are, who they want to be, what they, and what they need at this very moment. And, you know, as in each individual moment in order to live authentically. And they need connection to others, others who are similar, as well as others who are different, but they need to feel like they've got a connection in the universe. Psychological flexibility for kids. I broke this one down a little bit simpler than what we do for other psych- for adult psychological flexibility exercises. Here is the here and now, the circle. I feel devastated because I didn't make the cheerleading squad. Okay, now the child has already created that collage that we talked about of things that are important in their life and strengths that they have and all that stuff. That's over here that, where they can see it. Children tend to be very visual and it tends to have more of an impact if children can see it, not just hear you talk about it because they're going to tune you out. <laughs> have it out there pictorially, however they want to have it. What do I want to do? Because of this situation, what's my reaction? What do I want to do? You know, do I want to, you know, complain to the principal? Do I want to never go to school again? What is it that I want to do? Why do I want to do that? I'm embarrassed or I feel like everybody hates me, whatever it is. Okay, let's just get it out. We're not criticizing, we're just getting it out. Does what I want to do, you know, if i decided I just never want to go to school again, does that use my energy for things that are important to me? Does that help me work towards the things that are important to me, like getting into college? Well, no, because if I don't go to school, then I'm going to fail. If I fail, then I can't get into college. So that's probably not going to be the best solution. What parts of this situation are within my control? Well, you didn't make the team this year. That's out of your control. However, you can try out again next year how... How can you figure out what you need to do differently in order to make the team next year? Are there other better uses for my energy that will help me be happier? Right now, I'm devastated. I don't want to go anywhere. You know, I just want to cry and be angry. Are there other better uses for my energy? Maybe I could take the dog on a walk or do an art project or what, whatever. What else could I do? And I have some other examples over here, but we're running short on time, so I'm going to move on. Activities to develop resilience. Enhance relationships with social support. Encourage kids to develop relationships with other youth, as well as with other adults in the community. Whether it's, you know, the neighbor, the pastor, the teacher, the postman, I don't care. Uh, So they see, so they have other resources. Encourage them to see crises or stressful events as challenges or opportunities. Now, when they're in the middle, in the midst of being devastated, is not the time to go, well, we're just going to look at this as a challenge. There's a time and a place to change the perspective from a devastating obstacle to a challenge. But it's it's important to start helping them view problems like that. Practice radical acceptance, encourage them to practice the, it is what it is, and that's what we say at our house. All right, this is unpleasant right now, it is what it is, and recognizing that there's good with bad. You have a best friend, sometimes you're going to get into an argument, it is what it is, and you can still love your best friend and get into an argument, It doesn't, they're not mutually exclusive. Develop realistic goals and move toward them to develop that sense of confidence and competence. Take decisive action in adverse situations. Look for opportunities of self-discovery after a struggle. When people come through a struggle, whether it's a breakup or failing a test or whatever it is, encourage them to reflect on how much strength it came, it took to come through that, what they learned from it, how that's enduring that situation changed them, hopefully for the better. Develop self-confidence. Encourage people to keep a long-term perspective, considering the event in the big scheme. And this is really hard for children, especially younger children, but even teenagers have difficulty with this long-term perspective. The whole, well, you broke up, but there's plenty of fish in the sea or you know, high school relationships rarely last or whatever anecdote somebody wants to throw at them. That's not what they're hearing and that's not what they're seeing at that point. Encourage them when they're in their wise mind to think in a more long-term perspective, at least temporarily, about, you know, you know what's life going to look like in two years? You know, how do you think this will matter in two years? Encourage them to maintain a hopeful outlook even if it's not about that particular thing, that about life in general. Encourage them to care for their mind and body. And encourage them to eliminate drains on their energy reserves. We want them to stay inflated. Hardiness means commitment, control, and challenge. Helping people and youth recognize that there are a lot of things in their life that are important to them. And at any one point in time, not every single one of them may be going perfectly. That's okay. They can still be committed to all those other things that are going great in their life and work on the parts that aren't. You can have a commitment wall where they have a list or that collage of the things that are important to them. Control means understanding what is and is not within your control. Your thoughts, reactions, behaviors, and environment are the things that you can generally control to some extent helping them see what control they have over the adversity. So we're committed to all the wonderful things, but I'm also recognizing how much control I have to change the things that aren't going so well right now. And I'm going to view it as a challenge. I'm going to view these obstacles as, you know, something that I can learn from and grow. Encourage people to bolster their reserves Positive health behaviors, that nine to ten hours of sleep for children under 18, even if they can just get nine hours on the weekend and it's seven hours the rest of the week, that's better than most are getting right now, Um, preferably at least eight every night. Encourage them to eat healthfully, to recreate, and that means more than just sitting on the couch and watching Netflix marathons whenever they're not in school. Encourage them to do things that make them happy, that they enjoy doing Encourage them to take some relaxation time. It's not always about school. I see so many kids that are in school all day long, then they have sports teams afterwards, and then they come home and they've got homework until 9, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and then they have to be up at 6 in the morning. We don't want them to give up their sports activities in order to get their nine hours of sleep, but you know, they've got five hours of homework. We want to encourage them to be able to find some time to relax, even if it's 30 minutes every day. And purposeful action. Encourage youth to choose things that are going to use their energy wisely. They only have a certain amount of energy. It's like a tank of gas. Now, are they gonna drive all over town with that tank of gas or are they gonna go from home to their destination? Probably home to their destination. Same thing with their energy. What is it they want out of life, and how can they use their energy in a way that gets them moving in that direction? When unexpected crises happen, have a crisis plan. Don't wait until there's a crisis. Have a plan ahead of time. What can the youth do to help regulate their emotions? Help them reflect on, does staying miserable serve a purpose? This is obviously for older youth. Does staying depressed and moping around the house for weeks on end serve a purpose? Help them redirect anger and fear impulses metaphorically. If they, want, if they get really angry and they want to rip somebody a new one, have them get out you know, cardboard. We get shipping. You've always got boxes around the house. Have them tear it up. You know, just tear the heck out of that thing. If they want to run away, encourage them to go on a run, not to actually run away. If they want to get something off their chest, you know, bench press works or push-ups, both of those things can help. It encourages them to, you know, visualize what they want to do and use that energy in a productive way. Practice radical acceptance and distress tolerance. Identify and address the problem and create a happiness plan. This is the problem. In order for me to be happy, what needs to change? Encourage them to look at time management in order to make that change happen. What has to, what must be done and what are my time constraints? Get social support. Who can I call? And have those phone numbers handy on your phone or wherever. Who can I call when I need assistance? And make boundaries acceptable. Encourage youth to be comfortable saying, you know what? I just need some space right now. Help them develop learned resourcefulness, kind of like MacGyver. When efforts change, when efforts to change something is successful, then expectations are often generalized to other situations. So if you survive, you know, switching schools every two years, you know, if you're in a military family, that's really stressful. But if somebody is good at doing that and they know they've navigated that before, then when something else kind of unrelated comes their way, they feel like they... Are competent at handling unpleasant events and they can deal with it we want to help them assess a situation by asking what needs to be done what are my options can I do this you know we can't not, not everybody can do everything what resources or assistance might I need and when have I succeeded at something similar and then encourage them to take action Self-efficacy. Encourage them to focus on previous successes. Have them keep a success scrapbook. Encourage them to see others who are similar and who have succeeded. For example, Michael Jordan was cut from his high school varsity squad. Nobody would hire Walt Disney and his first company went bankrupt. Steven Spielberg was rejected from the University of Southern California's film school twice. And then later when he became famous, he got an honorary degree. Oprah was fired as a TV anchor. So there's lots of examples of really successful people who have had life hand them lemons occasionally, and how did they deal with it? Elicit positive self-talk and supportive statements from others and help them learn how to manage their physiological arousal so they're not in their emotional mind and they're not feeling completely, you know, anxious. Steps to happiness when life sucks. Support other people. Sometimes helping other people out helps you feel better. Take stress breaks. Remember your comebacks. Identify your strengths and your resources. Take care of yourself physically. Practice radical acceptance and recognize that every moment is a new beginning. So I may feel awful right now, but now's a new moment. So every moment is a new beginning. You don't have to wait until you wake up tomorrow to start over again. Take a deep breath and go, okay let's have a new beginning. View adversity as an opportunity for growth. Practice optimism and focus on small positive changes. Focus on what you can control by changing the situation, causing the distress, uh, controlling the meaning of the situation to you. You know, what does this mean? It means my life is over. Okay, Does, does that really mean, is that really what it means? So look at Altering your perception of the severity, importance, or your personal responsibility. Because sometimes it's not you. It's somebody else. And encourage people to learn how to control their stress response. They can by using deep breathing, relaxation exercises, exercise itself, or verbal or written modes of expressing their feelings. So resilience is the learned art of bouncing back in the face of adversity. Early risk and vulnerability factors may have prevented clients from developing necessary protective skills and resources. We can help them develop those. If you're working with a child who was premature or has developmental delays or was, um, you know, put in foster care, those are some early adversities. It doesn't mean that they can't overcome those. Programs aimed at preventing risk factors or mitigating their impact help build resilience encourage youth to develop resilience within themselves by at least once a day asking themselves, what did I do well today? One question that comes in is um, the Social Cues resource. Tell me a little bit more about that. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on what you are reading body language. Um, let me find that resource and I will put it in your classroom for you. All right, are there any other questions? Okay, everybody, have an amazing day, and I will see you on Thursday, and we will be talking about something similar with kids. <laughs> Sorry. Um, if this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode. A direct link to the on-demand CEUs for this podcast is at allceus.com slash